This morning, we are beginning a new oops series going to the book of Proverbs. Sorry about that, John. Uh, we're going through the book of Proverbs. Now, in the Old Testament, there were three groups of people that God would use to speak to Israel and to speak to man. He would use the priests. Now, the priests gave the law. They were the ones that kind of taught the law and God gave the law to Moses. And so they would teach the law to the nation and tell them what they were supposed to do and what God didn't want them to do. Then there were the prophets. The prophets gave correction and direction. They would see a problem and these were the, the prophets who, like Isaiah and Ezekiel, and they would preach against what they, was going on in Israel and preach against the false idols and give direction for the nation to take. But then there was a third group, and the third group was known as the sages. Now, the sages were wise people that God used to give counsel to the nation. And the sages were used to write the books of the Bible that are known as the wisdom literature. Now, the wisdom literature makes up the books of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. That, that group of, of books in that section right there are the wisdom books. They're what we go to for wisdom and guidance and direction. Now, we need to understand that wisdom and intelligence are not the same thing. Intelligence means you know some things. And you can be intelligent in a lot of different areas. You can be intelligent when it comes to working on cars. You can be intelligent when it comes to cooking. You can be intelligent when it comes to the stock market or, or multiple areas. You can be intelligent and know some things. Intelligence is knowing things. Having wisdom means you know what to do in different situations. You can be intelligent without having wisdom. Have you ever known someone who was very book smart, but they seem to have no common sense whatsoever? I mean, we've all known people like that. Maybe you're like that. You know, you know you've got the trivia and you know facts and figures and things, but just when, when you know, common things come up, you have no idea what to do in that situation. And so wisdom is knowing what to do in different situations that come our way. And so the wisdom literature was given to us by God to teach us wisdom, to help us know how to act and what to do in specific situations. And the book of Proverbs was mostly written by King Solomon. And of course, King Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. Of course, we know the story when he was becoming king, God came to him in a vision and said, Solomon, anything that you need, anything that you desire, you ask of me and I'll give it to you. And Solomon, at that point, he could have asked for money. He could have asked for power. He could have asked for prestige. He could have asked for anything. But he knew the task he had ahead of him of leading the nation of Israel for God's glory was required more than just a bunch of cash. So he asked God for wisdom. And so God gave him the wisdom that he needed to lead that nation. So he is considered the wisest man to ever live. But look what the Bible says about him in 1 Kings chapter 4. And he spake 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were a 1,005. And he spake of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of beasts and of fowl and creeping things and of fishes. And there came of all the people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth, earth which had heard of his wisdom. So in our society, Solomon would be considered a world-class author. Now, while Solomon wrote most of the Proverbs, he didn't write all of them. 
It's believed that Solomon wrote the Proverbs, Proverbs 1 to Proverbs 24, but then he died in 931 B.C., so where did the rest of the Proverbs come from? Well, Proverbs 25 through 29 were compiled by King Hezekiah in 700 B.C. Proverbs 25 tells us this. It says, These also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah of Judah copied out. So Hezekiah had some men go back into some of Solomon's other writings and compile those Proverbs for us to have. Proverbs 13 was written by a man named Agor, who was the son of Jacob. And Proverbs 31 was written by King Lemuel. Say, so who were those? Guys, we don't know. That's all we know about them. But we know they had wisdom. We know they were considered wise men by God, so he used them to give us some of the Proverbs. So as we get into Proverbs, we need to understand why they were written. They were written and given to us by God to teach us wisdom, to teach us how to live our life. And so we're going to begin this study by looking at Proverbs chapter 7, and we're going to see this truth. Your direction determines your destination. The direction that you are taking in life with your finances, with your marriage, with your morality, with your child rearing, with your career, the direction you are going determines where you end up. And we all understand this. If I get on, out on I-81 and I go north, eventually I'm going to end up in Pennsylvania. I'm going to realize I'm in a stupid place and turn around and come right back, but eventually I'm going to end up in Pennsylvania. If I go out on 81 and go south, eventually I'm going to end up in Tennessee. Why? Because that's the direction I'm going in. Now, I can, I can want to go somewhere else. I can say, you know what? I'm going to Mexico. I can patch my, pack my beach towel. I can get my swim trunks. I can have everything ready to go to the beach in Mexico, and I can drive north. I ain't getting to Mexico no matter how long I drive because I'm going in the wrong direction. But I wanted to go to Mexico. doesn't matter where you want to go. Your direction determines where you end up. And that's a, a truth we need to understand. That's obvious in the world of geography, but in our marriage, in our finances, in our child rearing, that principle still applies. In every area of my life, my direction determines my destination. And we all understand that, but I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to people who they come to me and their life's just blown up. Their marriage has been destroyed. Their kids have rebelled. Their finances are a mess. Their morality is... And they, they have these huge sob stories and they're telling me how they got there. And they're like, I just don't know how I ended up here, preacher. And I'm like, really? I could tell you were going that direction when you started the story. Anyone with, with a brain could see that where you were going, you were going to end up here. How could you possibly think anything different? But we don't understand that. See, the problem that we think is we think what we do is not a direction of our life. It's one-time events that don't really matter. But everything you do, every, every, place you, every place you go, every decision you make is a step in a direction. It's a step down a path that leads to somewhere. You can have the best intentions and end up in the wrong situation all because your direction was wrong. In every area of your life, your direction, not your intentions, not your strengths, not your weaknesses, your direction determines your destination. The path you take determines where you're going to end up. And that's what Solomon's teaching us in Proverbs chapter number 7. In Proverbs 7, Solomon is telling a story. And he's telling the story as if he is standing at a window looking down in the street, 
watching a man go down a path that he didn't know where it led. And so let's look at Proverbs chapter 7, starting in verse number 6. For at the window of my house, for at the window of my house, where am I at here? I'm at the window of my house, right? All right, for at the window of my house, I looked through my casement and beheld among the simple ones, I discerned among the youths, a young man void of understanding. Now, real quick, when Solomon's talking about simple, he's not talking about stupid people. There are, he does talk about stupid people later, but he's not talking about stupid people. He's talking about those who just, they, they don't know yet. They're unlearned. They're, they're, they're ignorant of, and ignorant again doesn't mean stupid. It means they just, he's unaware. This guy, he's a young man. He hasn't lived life. He doesn't have the wisdom that Solomon has. And so that's the type of man he's looking at. Uh, verse number seven, uh, verse number eight. Passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house. Well, whose house? Well, let's see. In the twilight, in the black, in the evening, in the black and dark night. So you don't have to be a, a biblical scholar to see where this story is going. Solomon is saying, I, I looked out my window. And I saw a young man who didn't know any better. He thought he was doing something okay, but he was, he was going down a path that was going to lead somewhere difficult. Now, he's going to a woman's house. And the Bible, see, later he, he knew who this woman was. He knew this woman was married. He knew this woman, had, was, that her husband was out of town. And he also knew that she would be out looking for companionship with someone other than her husband. So look, we're all matured here. This guy's looking for a good time. And he doesn't think there's anything wrong with it. He thinks, I'm just, this is just a one-time thing. It's just a night. It's going to be fun. No one's going to get hurt. What's the damage done? Now, that should have stopped him. The fact that he knew she was married and she was looking for companionship anywhere else should have stopped him, but it didn't. In fact, that's the reason he was heading in her direction. And Solomon is watching this man, and he saw the danger of his direction. He saw the path he was on was leading to somewhere that would end in destruction. Why? Because... Solomon had been there before. He, he, there was a draft, drastic difference in what this man thought he was getting into and the future that actually awaited him. Solomon, the older, wiser man, he understood from experience that this man wasn't just going to have a one-time thing. He was on a path that was going to lead somewhere bad. This man thought it was an isolated night, an exciting event, had nothing to do with the rest of his life, but Solomon knew that it wasn't an isolated event. It was a step down a path that leads somewhere. The path had a predictable destination, and Solomon continues. Look at verse number 10. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle of heart, and she was loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now she is without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait in every corner. She, so she caught him and kissed him, and with an imprudent face said unto him, I have peace offerings with me. This day I have paid my vows. Therefore came I forth to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. So this, this is not a woman that you want your sons to bring home to dinner. We all understand that. She's dressed like a harlot. She's not, and she tells him that. But she's, she's dressed with intentions of, I'm here to have fun. I'm here to feed my flesh. 
to please myself. And she tells him, I came out to find you. Now, of course, he's flattered. Well, hey, she came for me. But he's going down a path. Now, she says right here, when she says she has peace offerings, she is telling him she wasn't a prostitute. She goes, I'm not in this for money. I don't want your money. I've got my own. I'm not in this for money. I'm simply in this for pleasure. When she said she'd paid her vow, she was saying she'd, she'd been to the temple. She'd offered sacrifices, so everything between her and God was good. She was saying, hey, I've emptied out my sin bucket. Let's have some fun filling it up again. Look at verse number 16. <clears throat> I, have checked my, I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry, with carved works, with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take us take our fill of love until morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves, for the goodman is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He taketh a bag of money with him, and he will come home at the day appointed. She has just made her intentions perfectly clear. She's not beating around the bush. She's not playing the games of, you know, batting her eyes and hoping he gets the signal. She's saying, hey, this is what I want. My husband's not home. He's not going to be home for a couple of days. We've got all the time in the world. We're not going to get caught. Let's just go have some fun. From this young man's perspective, it's a great opportunity. No strings attached fun. Husband's not home, not going to get caught. No big deal. But Solomon saw the situation entirely differently. Look at verse number 21. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips... She forced him. He goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stock. So like dart strike through his liver as a bird hastes to his snare and knoweth not that it is for his life. This man thinks he's on a path to fun. He thinks I'm on a, I'm gonna have some fun tonight. I'm on a this is gonna be great. No one's going to have any idea. It's going to be fine. I'm on the path to fun. But Solomon knows he's on a path that's going to lead to destruction. Why? Because of the direction that he's headed. Solomon uses some pretty harsh language to describe the destination this guy's going to. He's, he's going to be slaughtered like an ox. He's going to be corrected like a fool and beaten publicly and humiliated. He's going to be like a deer who's hunted and an arrow goes to his liver and it's dying out. Or a bird that's too stupid to realize that when it goes to get that food in that cage, it's not, it's not food, it's a snare that's going to kill it. Solomon knew that this man was headed in a direction that would throw his life away. But the guy couldn't see it. He thought this is just one step and nothing's going to affect it. But he was heading in a direction that was going to throw his life away. Now Solomon, he starts to talk to us about this situation. Look at verse 24. Hearken unto me now, now therefore, O ye children, and attend to the works of my mouth. For she hath ca- uh, let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her what? Paths. Go not astray in her past. Solomon said, this isn't an event. This isn't a one-time thing. This isn't an isolated incident. This is a path that this young man is taking. And this path is going to lead him to a destination that he doesn't want to end up, but he can't see where it goes. 
Then look at verse number 26. For she casteth down many wounded. Yea, many strong men have been slain by her. This isn't the first time she's done this. This isn't the first time she's lured another man down a path to destruction. She's done it many times. This path may be unique for this young man, but it's a well-worn path for those who have been before him. The path he's on is well-worn and it leads to death. Solomon could see where this path was going, but this young man couldn't. Look at verse 27. Her house is the way to hell. Going down to her cha- to the chambers of death. Man, that's it's pretty clear. Thomas says, this guy thinks he's going for some fun, but he's going to hell. He's going to destruction. The phrase, is the way, means a path or a road. This is nothing new to this path. It's unique. It's just another man who has chosen the path that will take him precisely where he doesn't want to be. He thought he's chosen a path that's going to enrich his relationships in the future, but instead this path he's chosen is going to destroy every relationship he has from here on out. Too many people do the same thing. They think they're heading down a path that leads somewhere, but it leads to destruction. married woman wants to be on the path to a good marriage. Her, her destination in mind is, I want to have a good marriage, but she's on the path that prioritizes her children and ignores her husband. She wants to go one way, but she's, she's going somewhere else. A Christian, he wants to head down the path of a close, close relationship with God. That's his goal. I want to, I want to be, have a close relationship with God. I want to love God and, and know about God. But then he, he heads down the path where he's too busy to read his Bible and pray and go to church and all these other things. A couple wants to raise their children and love God. That's their goal. We want our kids to grow up and love God and serve God and, and be good, godly Christians. But they, they get on the path that gets them all involved in all the activities that keep them out of church. So they're missing every Sunday or every other Sunday because, hey, we've got, a, we've got these activities. We want our kids to end up this way, but we're going down a path that leads somewhere else. A young couple wants to be on the path and end up financially secure at retirement, but they start down the path of getting in debt and living beyond their means and trying to have what their parents have at a later stage of life right now. And so we want to be this way. We want to be financially secure, but we're... We're heading down a path that's going to lead us to stress and anxiety and frustration and fear. And the list could go on and on. Each person had legitimate goals and good intentions of reaching them. But like the man in Solomon's story, they chose a path that eventually took them to a destination they never wanted to go. And this is obvious. Look, if you want to lose weight, don't eat McDonald's three times a day. Amen? But it's so easy. I'm going to lose weight. Supersize it for me, brother. Well, you may have a goal of losing weight, but you're on a path to not do so. You're on a path to to bad health. But I want to be healthy. And look, this is me. I'm like, you know how many times I'm like, man, I want to to be in shape. I want to be healthy. But not not enough to get on the path to do it. Not enough to get on the path that makes me run. Because, you know, the Bible says, and we're going to see this, Proverbs says, a fool runneth, or the wicked runneth when no man pursueth. You people that run and nobody's chasing you? I'm not saying you're wicked. God is. So, hey. 
But we want to get on the path of health, and, and all, but we, we just we go different directions. I mean, how many times have me in April, every, every Monday we start a new diet, and every Tuesday we're like, we did so good for a day, and then, man, Doritos were calling. <laughs> I want to go here, but I'm heading this way. Why? Because this way is fun. But eventually it's going to lead to trouble. And too many of us have that exact same problem. If you want to keep your mind pure, don't spend unsupervised and unaccountable time on a computer. Don't look, I'll be honest with you, men, women, teenagers, teenage boys, nobody needs to be on a computer by themselves in an isolated room late at night. Nothing good can come from that. You say, well, I'm stronger. No, you're not. You're stupider. Because you don't see where that path is taking you. And look, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think any, anybody should have unfiltered, unaccountable internet. We think it's a man issue. You know, a recent study showed 60% of Christian women struggle with pornography. It ain't just a man issue. Our kids, man, 90% of, of teenage boys, by the time they reach 18, have already seen hardcore pornography. 85% of girls. It's not a gender issue. It's a morality issue. But hey, I want to end up pure. I want my kids to end up pure, but I'm going to give them a cell phone that they can get the most wicked, vile things at their fingertips, and I'm not going to monitor it. I'm not going to filter it. I'm going to trust them. That's a path that's going to lead to destruction. You can't go down. You can't say, I want it to end up this way, but I'm going to do everything different. You, when you take the wrong path while driving... You can usually figure it out pretty quickly. You're in the wrong place and backtrack and maybe get back on, on where you need to be. When you take a wrong path in life, you usually don't notice until it's too late and you can't backtrack. You can get on the wrong path in your 20s and not realize you were on that path until you're in your 50s at the destination you never wanted to go to. We need to make sure we're going the right direction. The path we choose at crucial times in our life, it doesn't just determine our destination the following year. It determines our destination for life. And the fact is, every one of us are on a path in every area of our life, and it will lead us somewhere. You're on a path financially that will lead you to security or stress. You're on a path morally that will lead you to purity or failure. Every path has a destination. So why does it the man in Solomon's story, why does he walk down such a path? Because he, how come he doesn't understand what's happening? Because he doesn't think it's a path. He thinks it's an event. The truth is, God says your life and its destination isn't about the immediate, it's about the ultimate. Your direction not your intentions determines your destination. So that leads us to two questions this morning. Number one, what direction are you headed? What direction are you headed morally? Now, what direction do you want to go? Because I think if we did a poll here, an anonymous poll, I don't think anyone in this room would think, I want to go down the path that leads me to filth and pornography and adultery and affairs. I want That's the path I want. None of us would say that. We all want to say, I want to, I want to be pure. I want to guard my heart, guard my eyes. I want to have a, a marriage that's, that's secure and honors God and, and, and glorifies God. But that may be where you want to go, but what path are you on? Are you guarding your heart and your eyes, or are you on the path of self-indulgence? What direction are you headed in your relationships, your marriage? 
Man, I want to I have a good marriage where I love my wife as much as I do in 50 years as I did when I met her. Great. That's a great destination to go on. But what path are you on? Are you on the path where you never, never go out on a date with her? Look to me. You, you dated your wife to get her. You better date her to keep her. You better, I mean, I'm not saying if you don't, she's going to leave you. But if you want a good, strong mayor, you, you, may, you dated her to get to know her. You better date her even more after you get married, especially when you got kids. Look, get a babysitter, get Benadryl, get dog crates. I don't care. But date. I want a strong marriage. Then you better not sit in bed, each of you, on your own separate devices. You YouTubing or whatever. No, night, night. That's not, that's not going to lead you to a strong marriage. That's going to lead you to a marriage where when your kids are gone and you're empty nesters, you're going to look across the breakfast table and say, who are you? I don't know you, so I'm going somewhere else. What path are you on in your relationships, in your marriages, in your friends, in your family? Are you on the path to build relationships, to nurture corrections, or to nurture relationships? Or are you on the path that causes pain and loneliness? What, what direction are you headed on in your finances? Are you going towards stress or are you going towards security? These are huge issues and we could add a ton more, but they, we have to answer these questions. And here's the thing, only you can answer the question. I'm not asking you to answer the question, what direction do you want to go? What direction are you going? Now, first say, well, I want to go here. Great. Are you headed there? Or are you going in the path that's going to lead you somewhere else? In every area of your life, look at the direction you're headed. Is it pointing to where you want to end up? Or in 10, 20, 30 years, you're going to look at where you ended up and said, I, didn't, I did not want to be here at all. What direction are you headed? Second question, <coughs> how do you choose the right direction? We know we, where we want to end up. How do we choose the direction we want to go in? There's a couple things you need to do. Number one, get wisdom. <coughs> without wisdom, <coughs> excuse me, without wisdom, we will have no chance of finding the right path. If you don't have the wisdom of God, you can't, you can't luck into the right path. No one lucks into a good marriage. No one lucks into Christ-honoring kids. No one lucks into a life of purity. No one lucks into financial stability. They are decisions you have to make, and to find those paths, you have to have wisdom. You have to diligently seek for it through wisdom. But where do you get wisdom? Well, the Bible says in Proverbs 2.6, For the Lord giveth wisdom. Out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Say, preacher, where do I get wisdom? You get it through the word of God. That's why God gave it to us. You cannot have wisdom if you're not studying the word of God. And look, I didn't say reading. Studying. Too many of us, we read the Bible. You know, we read the Bible. We breeze through it, check my, I read it, I did my duty for the day, I'm a good Christian, check my bookmark, and I'm done for the day. That's reading it, don't get anything of it, you've got to study it. Look, if you study three verses, but God speaks to your heart, then you've, well, how do I study scripture, preacher? Well, you've got to get you a strong concordance, no. You know the best way to study scripture? Before you open the Bible, pray. Say, God, I'm about to read your word. I want to learn from it. I want you to teach me something. 
Lord, show me what I need to know this morning as I read your word. And God will guide you through all truth. And you don't got to have a biblical degree. You don't got to, no, look, there's a lot of supplement things you can get. I, I love sword, uh, e-sword. I've got, you know, song, I love reading the originals. I put a lot of study in because it's my job. And if you want to do that, great. But if you just pray and say, God, give me wisdom today through your word. And then read it. God will give you wisdom. God is the source of every of wisdom in every area in our life. And to have the wisdom to get on the right path, we have to have it from him. God speaks to us. God gives us wisdom as we study his word and allow his spirit to teach us what we need to know. So get wisdom. Here's another thing. Get accountability. Get accountability. If this young man would have had someone in his life that he was accountable to, they would have told him, hey man, just, you don't need to go down that path. I know you think it's just a one-time thing, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to end badly for you. That's not what you want to do. Every one of us needs someone in our life who can call us out, can tell us when we're on the wrong path. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. Look, I think a lot of times we Baptists read that and think, oh, the Catholics have ruined that. We don't got to go into a closet and go to a guy who's got a collar on backwards and say five Hail Marys. We think, oh, that's, we can't do that. That's not what that scripture is talking about. The word confess there means to acknowledge openly. It is having the wisdom and courage to say, I have problems in this area that I can't do myself. I need help. That takes courage. Let's just be honest. But it also takes wisdom to go to someone who loves you enough to help you and say, I can't do this by myself. I need your help. So we confess openly. We acknowledge openly. And it takes courage. Fault means a lapse of deviation from truth and uprightness. It is getting on the wrong path. We need someone in our life we can go to and say, hey, I'm struggling on staying on the right path in this area of my life. Will you pray with me and help make sure I stay on the right path? Every one of us needs someone in that, and sometimes in, in several areas. Look, I'll be honest, I've been honest with you all my entire, well, I'll be honest with you, I'm always honest with you. My, I, I, my father, when I was 12 years old, showed me how to find internet pornography. Dad of the year, right? That's why I got issues. But he showed me how to, and from that day on, I've struggled with it. It's been a constant battle. It's caused issues in our marriage. It's caused problems. When I think, oh, honey, I, I can control this. No, I couldn't. So what do we do? We've got covenant eyes. It, it filters everything. On every device I have, I've got covenant eyes. It filters everything I look at. I can't go to, I can't go to bad sites. And now, there are some loopholes in it and some weaknesses that people like to exploit. But here's the thing. If I even try, she gets an email every week. Here's the website your husband's been going to. Parker's accountable to me. Every week I get emails, here's the website your son's been going to. And when I get the warnings, hey, he's been to bath, you know what I do? I just beat the floor out of him. No. I say, hey, let's, let's talk about this. Let's work through it. When April gets warnings from me, you know what she does? She beats the floor out of me. <laughs> but I have to think, before even type in that search, what's April going to think when she gets that email that this is what your husband's been Googling? I'm accountable to her. We need people we're accountable to. 
People that we can go to. Not, not that they're going to hurt us or, or, or belittle us or shame us, but lovingly say, hey, let's, it's okay. You took a step on the wrong path. Let's get back on the right one. Because the Bible says a, 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 a wicked man stumbles and stays down, but a good man, a righteous man, stumbles and gets up seven times. So I can only stumble. No, no, no. It's not, it's not a number. A, a righteous man, when he falls, realizes what made him fall and does what he has to do to not fall again. Maybe you need accountability in your finances. Look, I, there's, a, there's a, a couple that we know is a great friend of ours. They've been married 20-some years. They're in a great spot with their finances. They're safe, they're secure. But you know why? Because when they first got married, they, they didn't get every credit card. They didn't get every debt they could have. They lived in a house that was a little smaller than they really needed. They lived in it for, for a while. Why? To say why? Because they, they had a destination. We want financial security when we're retired. We want financial security when, when we, we get older and we can enjoy life and not have to worry about just living off of Social Security because it ain't going to be there. Maybe if you're a young couple who wants that, maybe you should find someone like that and keep them accountable in your finances. So, hey, maybe you shouldn't get that house just yet. Maybe you shouldn't get that debt just yet. Live debt-free for a while. We need people that we're accountable to. You cannot, we are not made to go through life alone. We need people to help us to encourage us, to correct us, and to point out danger. But here's the third thing we need to do. Make choices based on the long term, not the short term. Here's where most of us mess up. We want what we want right now, not waiting, not worrying about what's going to do later. We need to learn delayed gratification. Don't go into debt to get something. If you want something bad enough, save up for it. Because you know why? If you save up for it, and by the time you have the cash in hand, you're like, I don't really want that. Eh, I didn't really need that anyway. I guess I'll just keep this cash for something else. It's delaying your gratification. But man, we Americans, we don't like doing that. We want it right now. We want it our way right now. Whatever we want. See your life the way God sees your life, by thinking of it as a path. Your life is a series of steps that take you in a direction. It's not a bunch of isolated events. Every decision you make takes you down a path. So make choices with your destination in mind. If I make this decision, I'm not going to go in that direction so I don't make this decision. Every short-term decision you make has long-term ramifications. Every decision is a fork in the road that takes you down a new path. Make decisions that take you down the path towards the destination you want to end up in. Every one of us is on a path in every area of our lives. What direction are you going? Your direction determines your destination. So choose the right direction so you end up in the destination you want to go.